0: All right, hey, we are in, uh, th- my name is Bob Kedlisek. I'm one of the 11 pastors at Bridgewater and that's kind of cool. Uh, most of them are younger than me now. I don't know when that happened, but um, but we're here in this, this uh, series, In Tune, short series just leading up to Easter, uh, how to tune our hearts to God's. And so I asked Jessica to stay to um, play a little bit uh, on her guitar. Jessica just started learning guitar, what, two years ago maybe? How long have you been? 10 years? Just 10 years ago. She's new. She's, I think you started playing publicly maybe two years. Ago. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, but I asked her to play a, a worship song for us just a little bit, just to start off uh, on, on her guitar there. So go for it. Yeah. was better when it, okay, so how do you think he, she did? How did she do? Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so we have condescending here saying it was awesome. We have some honesty over there. All right, so, um, so now I asked her to play actually the exact same thing on Peter's guitar, okay? So the exact same thing, exact same person, the exact same way. Go for it. All right, good. I named that tune. You know, thank you. Thank you both. Hey, so what was the difference? What? Yes. Yeah, her guitar was out of tune. It was awful. And so it didn't matter. She was doing the right thing. Yeah but it sounded terrible, but then she gets a guitar. Apparently, tuning your instrument is important. Oh, yeah. And it surprises me how quickly that, that you can get an instrument out of tune. It doesn't take much time at all. Yeah, four strings out of tune. Only four out of what, six? I don't, I don't even know how many strings are on a guitar. So, hey, and so we've been talking about how to be in tune with God, because here's the truth, that you can do all the right things. You can read your Bible. You can come to church every Sunday. You can um, give money to the church or to the poor. You, you can do, do all the right things. But if your heart is not in tune with God, it sounds like that first guitar. And it, it just it just falls flat, and it's awful, and it's painful to listen to. And... and and so that's what we've been talking about tuning our hearts to God's heart because here's what God wants from us. And we talk about it being more and better disciples, but this is uh, this is what being a better disciple means. It's God's goal for us to become the best possible version of yourself and the most powerful force for good in this world that you can possibly be. That's what that's what being a better disciple is. That's what becoming like Jesus be, means becoming the best possible you that has this incredible impact. It, does this world need a force for good? Amen, yeah. You know what? This world, needs, this world needs you. It needs you following Jesus Christ and being like Him and influencing. And, and here's what tuning means. You look it up in a dictionary, adjust for more precise effectiveness. Right? So last week, uh, Josh Edwards was up here with the TV and, and the, the rabbit ears and, you know, th- that's what you used to have to do is to adjust it for more precise effectiveness. And the same with the guitar. You got to adjust it for more effectiveness. And that's what God wants to do with your life. He wants to adjust your life and tune you so that you're more effective and powerful for Him. And that, that doesn't mean we all look alike and act alike, right? This is not God's goal for us to become clones of some evil empire. No, his his goal for us, someone said that this is a picture of of all these guys. They just came back from a paintball um, thing because they're such bad shots. They have no paintball. Anyway, that's not in my notes. All right, God's goal isn't clones, right? He doesn't want us all to be the same. It's very much like an orchestra. What if you had an orchestra of 64 tubas and that's it? Would that be cool? Yeah, it would be funny. Yeah, it, it, it wouldn't, I, most of us wouldn't like it. Now, Alex Edwards, he's usually in Tunkanic Sunday morning, but he's from Montrose, and he is all, an all-state tuba player. They had competitions this last week, and he did really well, him and Nathan Farley, they all, they both placed all-state. Um, he might like 64 tubas, you know, but the rest of us, not so much, you know, um, but but all of those instruments, for a great orchestra, it takes two things. Different instruments, right? But all in tune together. Right? All playing the same, uh, 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 you know, not off. They all hit the same C note the same way. And, and that's what God wants to do in the church. To, to not be, you know, if you're off on your own, it's like a tuba playing solos, you know, which is nice. You know, but boy, you, you put all the band together and it's something so much more powerful and beautiful and effective. And that's what God that's why Jesus started the church, so that we could not be clones, but that so we could be the the best possible version of ourselves that we could be and the most effective. Um, power that we can be for good in the world, but to do that all in different kinds of ways. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to be in tune, because it's not just outward behavior, it's an inward thing. And to do that, we're going to look at one of the craziest stories in the Bible. The Bobby, Bible's got a lot of crazy stories, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. This guy's with me. I like that guy. All right. And so here's, here's, here's the crazy story not the crazy part yet, but after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Muonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. I think I might call him Jay because Jehoshaphat is is a mouthful. And uh, so some people came and told Jay, a vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Haziz and Tamar, that is in Gedi. And since we have no idea what those places are, I brought a map. All right. So these are the three nations, the Muonites, or they're also called Mount Seir or Edom, and then Moab and Ammon. And uh, they usually would come to the north, okay? This is the normal route to get to Jerusalem because there's some serious bad desert in here that's difficult to f- traverse with, you know, hundreds of thousands of troops or tens of thousands of troops. And so, so they went this way, though, according to, to what uh, the, the Bible is saying. This is basically a sneak attack, they wouldn't know they were coming because they're traveling through the desert. They wouldn't have anyone there to warn them until it was almost too late. And that is indeed what happened. And so it's almost too late. Back then, they didn't have standing armies. They, they would just have farmers. And But if if you were threatened, you would just put the call out, and every able-bodied man would, would come with whatever they had, if they had a sword or a spear or, or, or whatever, a bow and arrow, and they'd, they'd gather together. But that took time, and they're caught completely by surprise. They have just a couple days, perhaps, uh, before the, the army is going to be um, right on the walls of Jerusalem. And so the story goes on, on alarm. Jay resolves to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And so Josh Edwards talked about this last week, about, about the importance of fasting and prayer in our spiritual lives as a spiritual discipline to tune our hearts to God. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God, and prayer fills the void that fasting creates. And so he, he gave out a challenge. We're never commanded to fast in, in, God's, in God's Word. The Old Testament Jews, they had to fast once a year. New Testament, it's never a command. But Jesus says, after I've died and risen from the dead, after I'm no longer with you, he said, my disciples will fast. He expected us to do that. And so for some, if you struggle with anorexia or if you have a, a physical condition like diabetes where it's very unhealthy for you not to eat, then you need to fast something else besides food. And um, and I invite you to do that. But if if you're like... Fairly normal like me, not normal, fairly normal. Um, I want to encourage you this last Monday, our pastoral staff and most of uh, the staff at Bridgewater, we, we didn't need on Monday and we set aside extra time for prayer. And every time I thought of and we thought of food, we thought, why are we fasting? Well, we're fasting because we want God to do something amazing this Easter. We want that to be the beginning of movement of God's Holy Spirit, of a revival throughout this nation, throughout this world, throughout this community and in our church. And so this last Monday we did that and I want to invite you, there's two more Mondays before Easter. I want to invite you to fast with us on Monday. And, and to set aside that time that you would have spent eating, your lunch break or whatever, or, or whenever you think, man, I'm hungry. I could go for, I could go for carrots, I'm so hungry. Like, like I'm just, to think, well, why am I fasting? I'm fasting because I want, I want to come before God and ask Him to, to change this community. You know, we don't have a couple hundred thousand men marching on this community wanting to wipe us out and kill us and enslave us. But, but we do have, we do have problems. We do have issues that only God can solve. We do, have, we do have a battle that is raging in this community. Just this week, I was given a call by a, a couple that'll sit right there in the second service. She said, my cousin overdosed with fentanyl. And um, would you be willing to do the funeral? And I, they, they had asked another pastor to, to step in already, other members of the family, so I didn't do that. But, but man, the, we're in a war. And it's, it's heating up. And, and we need to realize before we have, do we, does, it, does it need to be hundreds of thousands of people marching on us to take our lives? Or, or maybe before it gets that bad, are, are we ready to come before God and say, man, I want to tune my heart to yours, God. You are the solution to, to, to the problems of this world, to the problems in my family, to the, to the battle that's going on in my school and in my workplace and in my community. And Jehoshaphat, proclaimed a fast. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town of Judah to seek Him. And they they gathered together in Jerusalem, fasting and praying. There's two reasons they gathered in Jerusalem. One reason was Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern kingdom of, of Judah. It's where we get the name Jew from. It's a shortened version of Judah. But there was a northern kingdom about uh, 30 years before Jehoshaphat was born, there was a civil war that split the kingdom. The northern kingdom was larger, it was uh, more powerful, and, and uh, that was called Israel. But, but over just about 100 years before this, in Jerusalem, Solomon, who was Jehoshaphat's great-grandfather, he had dedicated the temple and God, after that dedication and the temple was built, God spoke to his people and he said if ever there is an enemy that is coming against you, if you will come to Jerusalem and come to this temple and pray and and seek me and put me first, I will hear your prayer and I will deliver you. And so they came from all the towns of Judah to Jerusalem to pray. Not everybody, but but some people from all these towns. There's a second reason why people would come from all these towns to Jerusalem. And that was because it had the biggest, baddest walls of any of the cities and was potentially the safest place to be when you have this army of, of men sweeping through. And so they come together, and all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord And so they prayed to God, and now here is God's answer. I'm skipping ahead a couple verses. He says, tomorrow, here's what you need to do. March down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. And you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem right? That's their country and the city they're in. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. This is where it gets crazy, okay? Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, and as they set out, Jay stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out in the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. That's the crazy part. So Jehoshaphat says, okay, so God says he's gonna give us the victory. God says we don't have to fight. How do you want this to go down? He's got a little meeting, town hall meeting with the people, consulting the people, and so they're together, and this little guy over there, he's like, I know what we should do. We should form a parade and put these singers in the front and just praise God. And if I was the king, I'd be like, okay, there is an army of hundreds of thousands of men that want to kill us. And God says He's going to give us the victory. But that was a good, that was a good idea, yeah. Anyone else who's not a child have any other ideas of how this should go down? Anyone else without childlike faith have any ideas? Uh, My idea would have been, okay, so we'll have our military guys up front, and we will sneak up to the top of the rise and look down, because we don't want to, like, if we're too early, maybe God's not done fighting our battle yet. (laughs) We don't want to, and we don't want to let them know we're coming because that might mess up God's plan. You know, so we'll just take it the safe way, the smart way. And that's not the way Jehoshaphat decided to do this. And that's not the way the people consulting the people. I I want to know when I get to heaven, I want to know whose idea this was. Like that, I wouldn't have come up with this. And you know what this means? This means my heart is not in tune with God as it should be. You know, I think, I think tuning our hearts to God's heart, a heart in tune to God is a heart eager to worship Him and ready to worship Him. He said He'd win the victory. He said we wouldn't have to fight. We can do whatever we want. What better thing to do than to praise the God who wins this victory for us, And so as they began to sing and praise, and that's interesting as well, God doesn't defeat the army yet. It's only when they begin to praise God that he starts defeating their enemies. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, or Edom, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. How did it happen? The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir, to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. These evil men, they thought, Israel, I mean Judah, such a weak, small nation. We got them by surprise. We know we've know we had scouts out. We know this, this plan has worked perfectly. You know, if we knock off the men from Mount Seir, there'll be more for us. And and they annihilate each other. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one, no one had escaped. They didn't even have to fight one guy. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Praise. That's what Barakah means, where they praise the Lord. That's why it's called the Valley of Praise, Barakah, to this day. Here's the first thing. This is a crazy idea. This goes against what we would naturally think and the way we naturally want to do things, and that is that God's battle plan, God's weapon, one of his most powerful weapons against the evil in this world is worship. You know, when we think of how to combat the evil in this world and community and nation, we think politics, right? We think, we think maybe, maybe finances will help fight it. You know, if you remember the summer of 2020, you all remember the summer of 2020, unless you're like three, you know. All the riots over a hundred cities burning in our nation. Riots, lawlessness. People thought, I know what we'll do to combat injustice. Let's create more injustice. You know, in order to to lift up minorities, let's pillage and burn and break into and steal minority-owned businesses. That'll fix it. (laughs) That didn't fix it. That was the bad idea. You know what? And, And, you know, in the... Some Midwest city, and I wish I'd written it down. I've tried to find it, I can't find it. But I read a little story, and it wasn't carried in the national news media. But it was—it was a city, you know, like, you know, like Columbus. Like, I was going to say a second-rate city. If anybody's online watching from Columbus, but you know, not like a big city like New York or L.A. or you know, it was something in the Midwest. And and they had the protesters out, and this pastor just thought. He just said, God, it seems like God is telling me to be there at the protest and to play Christian music. And so he got there and he got there about dinnertime and he set up him and a couple people from his church and they set up some speakers and they just started praising God at this protest. And what often happened at the end of these protests is when it came nightfall, the peaceful protest of the day turned into a riot at night. And, and police barracks burned, cars and businesses broken into and burned, and, and things were starting to heat up. But this pastor's playing this music. And you know what? The not-so-good element in that protest, they didn't like that music. And they just went home because they didn't want to hear it. And they didn't want to hear some pastor singing songs of praise to God. And so then he came back and played after midnight, 1 a.m., he's still there, They're still singing. And then he did that the next night and the third night. And then other churches, they heard about this and then they joined in and and spelled him so that it wasn't him every night. and and, And about two or three nights in, one of the police officers went up to the pastor and he said, I'm really glad you're here. You're making a difference. Worship as a weapon against the enemy. It's not the way the world fights. The world says you fight hate with more hate. Right? You fight fire with more fire, and, and God says, no, 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 I have a different way I want you to fight. And, and we need to recognize this, that worship is God's battle plan, and here's what it said, right? After consulting the people, he appointed men to sing to the Lord, and they went out at the head of the army. I, there's a lot of crazy stories in the Bible, you know, and Revelation's in its own category of crazy This is one of the craziest stories. I mean, this is crazier to me than than the water parting, to have this kind of faith. There is an army of of evil men and and they just go out and praise the Lord. And here's what worship does. This is why it's such an effective weapon against Satan and against discouragement and against evil and against all sorts of things, fear, I mean, this is a great sermon for fear. If you're afraid, I mean, this is where we need to go. Not into isolation, not to hide behind our walls, not to run away, but to, to, to move toward what we fear in worship and praise of God. Worship reminds us of how big our God is. And, and going back to the beginning, this is the prayer that they prayed in the beginning before God won the victory, before they decided to go out and praise God and, and do a worship parade. This is the prayer. Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors. Listen to this prayer. He is not praying and praising God for what God has done because he hasn't done it yet. He is praising God for who he is. And you know, a lot of people, a lot of you who came here today and some watching online, you didn't come here praising God because the battle was over and there was this great victory and, and things are going so well in your life. You came here to praise God and the battle's not even fought yet or you're right in the middle of it. And you can't necessarily praise God for what he's done lately. You can praise God for what Jesus did, but you know what? We can always praise God for who he is. And when we remember who he is, it helps us realize what he's going to do. And he says, You're not a God. Are, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. God is the ruler. Power and might are in your hand. God is powerful. God is mighty. No one can withstand you. Our, oh God. Will you not judge them? God is the judge. You know, the more our culture and our nation. Rejects God. The more everyone wants to be the judge, and we want judgment here and now, but God is the judge. For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is a prayer we need to memorize. How many times have you prayed that prayer, God? I don't know what to do. Like I I don't even know how this can be fixed. I don't know how to solve it. I don't know how to how to even pray. I, just help. Like, do whatever. You know what I, I, I want. My eyes are on you, God. God, you need to fix this. You need to come down into this situation. So often, our problems in life, they're right in our face, right? We have problems right in our face, and they seem so big. And God is in the background and seems so small. I think everybody has done this at some point with photography, right? You like put your hand out and you're holding the moon, right? Why does the moon look like it could fit in someone's hand? Because it's so far away. This man is actually bigger than this woman, but he looks so small. Why? Because he's in the background. And this is what, what happens with our problems And our trials that we go through, we push God in the background and he seems so small and where is he? And our problems seem so big. And worship is is a way of putting God in first place, putting him in the priority, lifting him up and, and bringing him to the foreground. And the bigger your God is, the smaller your problems will seem. You know, when I was singing with Um, we used to sing a cappella, and we went different places, and one of our sayings was, we've been kicked out of better places than this. (laughs) We went to the Colosseum in Rome where Christians were thrown to the lions, and we thought, this is a great place to sing and praise God. One time, you know, Christians were being murdered here, and now we can praise God here because he won the victory. And we started singing, and the police came, and they escorted us out. I think they thought we were going to put a hat down and start you know, asking for money or something, which we wouldn't have done there. <laughs> no, we wouldn't have done that. But um, boy, when you're in the midst of problems, that's the time to praise God. Worship is a problem for your problems. I don't know who Carl Lentz is, but that's... that's that's pretty insightful. And this is as well. When I raise my voice to God, I lower the voice of the enemy. Right? It's like, it's like headphones. You got headphones on, and I might not be able to hear the music in those headphones, but you can't hear anything else. And we need to we need to we need to lift up our voices to God. We need to make much of God. And when we do that, it, it just our problems just get quieter. we put them in the proper perspective and so just just redoing some of these verses in this this passage are just so awesome listen all you who live in judah and jerusalem this is what the lord says to you don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours but god's your problems do you realize that before they were your problems they were god's problems and, and God knew about them, and God has a solution for them, and they're a problem. What you are going through, the trials and the problems you're going through, these are problems that God is going through as well. In fact, I had this, listen to a, a great message on grief and um, one of the things that, that this individual was saying was, you know, often we think of how God comforts the grieving by, by I'm grieving and this loss of someone I loved and God comes down and he puts his arms around me and he grieves with me. But, but it was said, no, you know, it, that, that is one picture. But the other picture is that, is that when I grieve, Jesus is already there weeping and I join Jesus, and grieve with him. And I think that's the same with our problems, with the battle that you're facing, the financial struggles you're in. Jesus is in those struggles, and he's grieving with you, and he feels that, that stress and that, that you feel. And he has a solution, and you need to just join him and go to him. And that family member or friend who's making such terrible choices and whose life is just falling apart in that marriage that maybe you're struggling with, that child that is hurting that you have, God is already in that problem. He's already there. And when we turn our back on God's, we turn our back on the, the solution and the one who can fix and change and win that victory that he wants us to win. The fear of God. Here's the, the conclusion of this. You know, we, we need to, to make much of God and bring him out of the background and into the foreground. But the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Eventually, there was peace, but worship preceded the peace. They didn't worship God like many of you. You didn't come here and everything's peace and everything's wonderful. And, you know, a, a lot of people think about this on Sunday morning. They come in and they look around and they, they say, oh, I look around and everybody else seems so happy. The truth is many of you here, you're hurting. But that doesn't mean you, don't, you can't praise the Lord. In fact, that's, that's one of the most important times to praise the Lord is, is when we are hurting because worship precedes peace peace. Um, If, if you're here today, well, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, this really is a message just for those who have asked Jesus to forgive them and have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ because, be, because we can always have peace with God. Right? We might not have peace in our family. We might not have peace at work. We, we might not have peace with, with, with someone here on earth, but we can always have peace with God. And, And I tell you, if you don't have peace with God, if you haven't made that decision in your life, it's a decision you need to make. This this is a command. You know, the Old Testament story we looked at, this is, worship is not just an Old Testament thing. It's not just something for the Psalms and Jewish nation in the Old Testament. Here it's something we are commanded to do in the New Testament. It's not a recommendation. It's not not a suggestion. It's a command. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. What is the message of Christ? It is that if you confess your sins to God, if you ask Jesus to forgive you and pay for your sins on the cross, that that he will take away your sins and you can have peace with God if you surrender your life and follow him. And so he says, let that message, the gospel, the good news that we can be right with God, let that dwell in you richly. And, and, and what do you do as that's dwelling in you richly? And how do you help that dwell in you richly? Well, as you teach and admonish or encourage one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. As we sing songs this morning, they're, they're to remind us and encourage us and teach us about who God is and, and how our problems line up compared to the greatness of God. And whatever you do, Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. Whenever you lift up Jesus, whenever you make him central in your life, you are worshiping God. When you put Jesus as as the center, when you put the Father as the center, when you put the Spirit as the center of your life, that is what worship is. Whether it's by what you're doing or by what you're saying or by what you're singing, that's worship. It's not just words. It can be your life as well. And that's what God calls us to do. I want to close us in a prayer and then I want to talk a little bit about about the importance of singing kinds of worship after that. But this is a prayer for anyone here who has never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day that you bring God out of the background. God doesn't want to be, you know, the Old Testament, number one command, right? First command is you shall have no other gods before me could also be translated, you shall have no other gods beside me. Israel's problem wasn't that they didn't worship God. They always, almost always worshiped God. Their problem was they worshiped other gods too. And they worshiped God Yahweh, but they also worshiped Asherah and Baal and Molech and, you know, keep all your bases covered. And God said, no, no, no. It's me and me alone that, that needs to be on the throne of your life. Most people worship themselves. They do what they want. Some people worship another person. That's a burden for that other person. Some people worship money, right? Some people worship what, whatever is number one, most important in your life. Oh, if only I could have good health. That's the most important thing. I, I just want No. It needs to be God, number one in your life. And if you've never made him number one, if you've never asked him to forgive you, I want to encourage you to pray with me now to do that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for me and, and to pay for my sins so I could have peace with God, with you. And Lord, I just, I just thank you for Jesus doing that. And, and I know he didn't die just, just, just to, so I could have a get out of jail free card, get out of hell free card. Jesus died to give me a new life, and Lord, that's the life I want. I, I, I surrender my life to you. I want to give you my life and follow you from this day forward for the rest of my life. I want you to be my Lord. My master. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, surrendering your life to God, at the end we're going to close in a song. I want to encourage you. There's going to be some people up front here come up and talk to one of them. In fact, if you have anything you want to pray about, come up and have, pray with one of these individuals that are up front. Take your problem before the Lord. Stop pushing God into the background and bring Him to the foreground. Here's some things we need to do, I think, to, to lean into this weapon of worship that is, I think, some, sometimes underutilized in many of our Christian lives. Number one, come next Sunday prepared to worship God. Don't come late. Don't come after the songs. Like, come ready to put God in His rightful place, to talk about who God is and what He's done. Come next Sunday prepared. And then sing out in the services. I don't care. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, the music is loud enough that if you are sing terribly out of tune, it will only bother a couple people around you. Okay? (laughs) And if they're like me, it does my heart good to hear anyone just belting out. And as we close, that's why we have words on the screen. Maybe you don't know the song. That's okay. But if you know the song, just belt it out just with your whole heart. Say, yes, this is who my God is. He is the giver of life. He he is love. He, He is so awesome. It's a weapon that Satan is scared of. Here's an idea. Maybe between now and Easter, only listen to Christian music. Only just just fast from all other kinds of music and just listen to Christian music. If you're looking for, um, we have, if, if you listen to music on Spotify, you can type in a search on Spotify, Bridgewater. And, and our, we have a, a worship set list that will come up, and it's the songs we generally sing on a Sunday morning and at least it comes up on my Spotify, but it, Bridgewater Worship, it'll definitely come up. And, and just listen to songs that lift up God. Why, why, why dwell more on your problems? You know, let's, let's, let's look on the God who can solve those problems. Um, share your favorite worship song on social media or with friends via text. Last thing, when going through trials, depression, fear... Add singing to your battle plan. Uh, yesterday, I was talking with a woman who was just, she was confused, she was depressed, she was really struggling. Her sister asked me to call her. And I'm talking to her and I said, you know, sometimes when I'm sad, <clears throat> it helps me to sing sad songs about Jesus. And I said, "Here's here here's one that just comes to my mind. It's not a recent song, I'm not... I'm not a recent kind of guy. It's by Jeremy Camp. Give me Jesus. It's not really a sad song, but it's a slow song. So, it, you know, you don't want to, when, when you're feeling down, you don't want to sing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Like That's like claws, you know, on a chalkboard, you know. You're like, oh, I'm not happy. I don't want to clap my hands. But in the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus Just sing, when I am alone Give me Jesus when I come to die Give me Jesus and somehow, I might cry singing a sad song, but it's a good kind of cry instead of the bad kind. I think this is a weapon we need to use in our spiritual battles, in our emotional battles, in, our, in what's going on in the world, the weapon of worship. Let's all stand together and, um, and just sing this closing song.